Here we go, spring of 2021. This is the 1080 Outdoors Podcast Land Management Series, where our main focus is pursuing the truth for everyday hunters like you. I wouldn't say it's kind of an FU, it's definitely an FU. Chronicle and document how our season's going and give you real-time updates, overall land management practices. You have to find a way to hunt big buck where they are. Welcome to the 1080 Outdoors Podcast. This is episode number 99, and we're going to continue with our real estate type information. Today I am joined by Jared Lease. Jared is a commercial mortgage lender from Citizen State Bank in uh, La Crosse. Uh, if you ever need to get a hold of them, go ahead and search his name, Jared Lease in Citizen State Bank. Um, but Jared and I discuss lending options for acquiring land and different avenues that you can go, how you can be creative, um, maybe uh, canceling some of the limiting beliefs that people may have that they can't afford it or can't get a loan. Um and then at the end, I added in uh, kind of a rogue conversation that Jared and I were having about the ag industry and and uh, some of the other things. So I put that towards the end. That was a conversation we had before we even started recording um, uh, technically. And then this section coming up here is, is pretty much about mortgage lending. So, um, And what we're trying to do here is just give you guys information, um, help support people who are trying to acquire land. Um, and just helping you understand the whole process as a whole. So if you enjoy this kind of stuff, you know, reach out and let us know. Um, also, give give us a like on the podcast platform you're listening to. Go ahead and give us a pay, our page a like. And if you need any help with real estate, make sure you get a hold of me, um, Taylor Henry with New Directions Land and Farm. Um, you can either email me at taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, at newdirectionsre.com. Or uh, shoot me a text or a call at 608-606-9118. All right. I'm going to send this over to Jared and Jared and I's conversation. Thanks for listening, guys. All right. I have the number one lending person in the Midwest, Jared Least, here with me. Uh, Jared works for Citizen State Bank in La Crosse. Um, Specializes in kind of like southwest Wisconsin, northeast Iowa, Minnesota, too. Yeah, all yeah. those areas. I'll reach down to uh, reach down to Madison. Uh, did a deal up in Green Bay. Oh, not nice. So long ago as well. So there, you don't really have geographical. Like once someone becomes a client, they can kind of do it. You can kind of work with them anywhere. Correct. Yeah. Everything in the commercial world, everything's subjective. Literally, it's a wide open. It's a wide open slate. There's so many factors that can mitigate risk here and there. Uh, the one in Green Bay is outside of our geographical area. Um, and it was for a client, quite frankly, is uh, all close to a billion dollars in net worth. So you can you can make anything yeah, work there. For sure. Um, <clears throat> well, that's good for you for working with people like that. Uh, those are good people to be in communication with. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Which was crazy because it was the easiest closing ever and I never even met the borrower. So, so even someone like that, though, because that's a good conversation to have. Like he's not just throwing cash down on deals then. No, no, he's no, he's not. He's got. It was actually, uh, it was actually a cash out as well. So there's a few million dollars getting cash back into his pocket. So even the even the really well off, you know, like I said, the grade A plus customers that can walk into U.S. Bank or Wells Fargo and get a loan right now, they they uh, 
they have so much cash that they could cash flow anything, but they choose to have loans. They choose to, to play that interest rate game. What do they do with, with their cash? cash? All different things. Um, most of the time, you're going to see them put them into ventures either. In this case, the, uh, the bar that we worked with uh, had a love for what he got into. It was a concert venue and loves music, but that's not, his, that's not what his 9 to 5 job is. His nine to five job is uh, retail. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got a string of really, really strong retail stores, and you're seeing people with a lot of that cash just putting it into whatever it be, whether it be some sort of venture. Uh, just had someone that's getting into a healthcare venture, um, someone that uh, gets into rentals or hotels. Um, just thinking about the really strong customers that we have on the books, they're looking to really get in it, into anything that a is a, a like, you know, passion for them, or B, it's going to make them money. Um, I have a customer that said, hey, any, I'm into in any business. I have plenty of cash, and I'd be willing to take a chance on someone that was starting a business that I believed in. I could see I was going to get a good return on it. Really, they're putting their money into anything that they believe in. Yeah. Do they? Do you see people that get when they're at that level that are in, like, like, do they hold a certain amount of cash? Um, do you see people like breaking up their assets and wealth? Like, like I want to have like ten percent cash on hand, and then like ten percent into stock, ten percent into this. Yeah, I see. I see most of the cash um, right into right into investments. You know, they're tied up in they're tied up in fixed assets. The cash that they are holding that we'll call cash is held in a brokerage account. You know, like the trust points of the world. They hold cash there. The cash inside the bank, um, you know, liquid cash, we'll call it, is the least amount. And we're probably saying five to six percent yeah. um, of cash held there. But most of it, they want it working for themselves and they put in the deals that they believe in, like I mentioned. That's that's a good number. Five percent of your actual worth in liquid cash. That's probably even less than that, to well. be honest. I would say. It's it's probably a lot less than that. Five percent probably like active cash. Yes. Yeah. 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 So active money playing in a game is actually in a, in a liquid cash form. Yep. Yep. A lot of a lot of guys when you get in the big scale they'll pull they'll pull cash out from other ventures. You know you'll see payables to them from other ventures, or they'll pull they'll pull equity out of uh, out of another. Uh, real estate holding that they have, or they'll pull it out of their brokerage account um, and do that. It's non-retirement, so there's no penalty against it. Um, and then we get down kind of smaller scale, you know, people that you run across in, in the lacrosse area and things like that. Then they hold a lot more cash um, because they're always seem to be buying and selling and putting money into properties and things like that. Yeah. So. If someone's sitting here listening to this and they are wanting to buy some land or possibly have some other land or maybe even other, whether maybe their cash is in other places too, um, speak on like what I guess real estate and land does for a portfolio like that. Like how, because what you're describing essentially is a lot of these people are diversifying. Correct. And so, so for what land and real estate does, if you could, if you can picture, um, a business, they have a balance sheet, they have assets and liabilities, you know, the difference between their assets and liabilities, their net worth. That's the same thing when it comes to us personally. Yep. 
So one of the first things that we gather up to, to underwrite, you know, a land purchase or a real estate purchase or anything like that is we collect someone's personal tax returns. You know, what if they, what kind of cash they have coming in? What are their sources? And their personal financial statement, they complete a template that literally lists out their personal assets and their personal liabilities. And adding, buying land, let's say they're buying, they're buying land to rent to a farmer. That's going to show up obviously on the on the asset side, and then the loan that goes with it's going to be the liability side. And from there, you know they're building up their their personal net worth because the difference is obviously going to be their net worth, and they're going to have cash coming in at the same time. So when we're looking at when we're looking at loans and deals, we're looking at uh, on the commercial side. We like to have every deal some sort of cash. Cash in obviously helps a lot, but uh, some sort of money maker. You know, you want income producing land that helps you because not only are you building up your net worth, but you're also putting cash in your pocket to replenish the cash that you had to put down and putting it towards something else. So what you're really doing, you're building up your net worth, you're building the cash coming in your pocket. So you're doing two things at once. Yeah. Um, do this with your mic quick. Adjust it up like that just a little bit. All right, so if we get into the actual breaking down, like, let's get into, like, the head of, you know, people who have been saving or they've been kind of smart with their money for a long time, and this would be, like, their splurge. Yep. So for, let's let's kind of go through the whole, like, process even. Like, step one. Like, what is a cre- – like, credit score is kind of where everything begins. Uh, yes and no. So on the commercial side, we're a little more wide open. Like I said, we're very subjective. Um, the credit score to me doesn't mean much. I have million dollar customers that have 600 credit scores because they've forgotten to pay something in the past or they have a lot of credit card debt on there. They, they like to carry and then they keep cash in their brokerage account. Mm-hmm. So really I like to look at the credit report. You personally, are you making all your loan payments on time? Are they made on time? Do you have any collections? Do you have any tax liens? That's what I'm looking at from the credit report standpoint. Going back to the personal financial statement, I'm looking at what you have asset-wise. Do you own a house? You know, do you have a brokerage account? Do you have cash value life insurance? Um, what kind of assets do you have that are available in terms of using as collateral towards something that I'll get in a, in a little bit? And then on the liability side, that kind of ties to your credit report. What are your payments like? What's your house payment like? Do you have any student loans? What, what do you have for auto payments? What kind of credit card debt do you have? Do you carry balances? That's kind of the personal side. And obviously we look at the tax return, you know, do you have a W-2 income? Do you have a regular job? Do you have rentals? Do you have, uh, do you have some passive income? You put some money into your buddy's business. You know, how's that business doing? Are you, are you, losing, are you losing your money? Or are you gonna get some of that out? That's the personal side. So then we look at the uh, the purchase itself. You're going to be looking at uh, buying some hunt land. Let's say let's say that it's uh, you know straight up personal. You know you're using it just to splurge. In that case, you know you're looking at putting about 20% cash down, or you could bring 20% equity to the table. 
So I could take, because that land is discounted 80%, it's worth a million dollars, but we discounted 80%, so we recognize $800,000 worth. So we have to grab $200,000 worth of something else. So let's say you own your house free and clear, it's worth $300,000, boom, that'll work. We'll use that as, as equity. So then I could lend to you 100% for the purchase because it's not income producing because you're gonna use it just to hunt on you know Monday through Saturday, Monday through Sunday in November, then does your personal income coming in, does that support the loan payment? You know, if you look at the other way, let's say you're buying it primarily just to lease out to your neighbor for $20,000 a year. We can use that income too to get you qualified and say, hey, you're gonna have this much income coming in, plus you have your personal W-2 wage or whatever you make on the side to help with the loan payment as well. So really, like I said, and it does go back to the five C's of credit as well. You know, you look at the character and, you know, are you, are you gonna do what you say? You know, the collateral, does that check out? Obviously with the land, um, you're looking at the capacity. Do you have income coming in from the land or do you make a W-2 wage or do you have rental income coming in that you're gonna make this loan payment? And then next thing you know, you look at the conditions, you know, is this land, you know, is it going to hold a steady value? Are we good with just an 80% advance ratio to say it's worth $800,000 if we got it back? And that's that, where the risk is. That's so like, if you, if you take equity, I think we need to explain that better. Cause it's yeah. something that I just could not, I didn't understand, but once you get it, it's crazy. So if you take, um, say someone's in paying their house down and they have, say a hundred thousand in equity on it or something. Yep. Um, they're not taking anything on, like they're not making any extra payments on that house or right? nothing. No, no. Um, that money, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like computer money. Kind of. It's like, it's not money actually. It's that, that money is just, it's added into your loan. So yeah. I'm financing a hundred percent of it rather than 80% yeah, of it. Right. If I financed 80% of it, it means I need to take that hundred thousand I need to make a loan on your house, pull out $100,000 cash, put it towards this purchase. So my loan is lower compared to just filing a mortgage on your house, just a lien against the house. Yeah. And the risk comes from like, if you were, you know, say we had a downturn in the market and the value were to plummet. And then all of a sudden you're upside down where like you owed more than what the thing was worth. But when you look at actual rec land and hunting land, I mean, has that ever really happened? No. I mean, I could definitely see it on commercial development land. Yep, you can um, see it on commercial development land. You know, you include houses in it that, you know, maybe if you include a house or a cabin, that might do something like that. Correct. But like strictly land, like recreational, ag, like open ag and, and wooded timber. You should be pretty good as long as you don't super overpay for it. Yeah, this it comes market, down to the deal. This market, yeah. there's a bubble going on, and you could be overpaying. Yeah, this could be the first time where you could see some type of drop off with yep. land. Yeah, if you got a guy that wants to buy 40 acres on the side of a highway and he's paying $6,000 an acre, but you can go down the road and you can buy a flat 40 that's absolutely perfect for 4,000 an acre, dude's overpaying and you can clearly see that. And when you're paying down, when you're on a 20 year amortization, so you're gonna have the loan paid off in 20 years and after year one, you got a 20, of 120th if it paid off and all of a sudden you go through a divorce and you need to sell it you're upside down you're looking you're looking to pay for that shortfall too to mm -hmm. get out of it yeah 
Yeah, and you wouldn't technically be one twentieth done. You'd probably be like one fortieth done. Probably. Yep. <clears> the way. <throat> yes. Correct. That's a good point. Because you, the majority of your first year, you're paying interest. Yes. Because the bank yep. gets interest first. Correct. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's kind of like yeah, but it, it it's. What are the negatives, I guess, for people? Like, what are the neg- negative experiences you've seen people have with, it, with doing stuff like that? Um, Divor- uh, divorce thing, like you said. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, that that it can always come up. That's one of those life events that can that can push you. It's it's really uh, when you start when you start buying land or or buying something that has no income producing aspect to it. Just know that your personal cash flow is tied to that. You know, right. Yeah. So if you were to lose your job. Yep. 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 You got to completely keep paying for it. Um, that's really, that's really the, the downfall because there really isn't a plan B to pay for it. You know, yep. if you have a W2 income and you have a bunch of rentals on the side, you lose your job, you have your rentals to supplement your personal income and to pay for that land loan as well. So you kind of have a backup plan. Diversity of income is important too. Yes, it is. Yep. especially especially right now, we work with a lot of realtors that have uh, rental properties, and they're realtors, so they're literally all tied to the real estate market. Yeah, the real estate market takes a tank, and and the market gets hit where you know COVID happens again, and uh, primarily most of their renters are you know service workers down at your local bar, your local restaurant serving, and they lose their job or they start getting paid less from tips and they can only afford $700 per month, but they were paying $900 per month and the $900 per month was what was being used to make your loan payment. It, the trickle down effect reaches you. It's too much negative stuff. I do think rural America is going to thrive over the next 10 Correct. years. I mean, yep. that's kind of my I assumption too. So there is always things in this, uh, in like, well, you're taking a risk. It's not just a, you're if, always if it was a like a free make free way to make more money, everyone would be doing it. Correct. Um, but if you sit back and you look at the market right now, I, I don't envision land, especially in rural areas, having issues over the next 10 years. Because you, you're seeing like this 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 movement away from big cities. Yeah, you are. So yeah. if that were somehow to change, and then like, because then you if you somehow had a reverse, you know, evacuation where people did then weren't coming out here as much anymore or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how is that going to change? Because how is someone going to come out of a city, come out to a place like this? They're leaving cities for a reason. Correct. You know, they've realized that jobs aren't. They don't need to be there necessarily for them. They can work remotely. Yep. They're out of, I mean, people, can you imagine being a big city during COVID? You were literally trapped. Like I had a client yeah. in New York. He was like 20. Oh, I think you met Percaro, Matthew. Percaro, yeah. He's stuck 20 stories up in a, or like a hundred, I don't know. It, it sounded terrible. Yep. He had bought this apartment complex, apartment in an apartment complex. It was like 800 square feet. He had bought it for like 500,000 or something. Or maybe he was renting still and the rent was like Three thousand a month, thirty-five hundred a month, and he was, dude, he was trapped in it. Yep, he could not leave. Yeah, like that was the first time I, as we were doing a Zoom call. I was like, I actually am like concerned about you. Yeah, like you don't look well. The the thing about land is they're not making more of it. 
Yeah. I don't, I don't see it going down. You know, you start talking about houses. That's a different story. Residentials, it, residential that's is much animal. more fluctuates. I mean, just it's fluctuated in the last two months. Yeah. Way more than land probably had in the last 30 years. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> think land is fluctuating that much through all of it's this. It's not, either. but I would say this is the first time I've seen it where it like substantially it has taken a hit, like bump up. Yeah. Like we're looking at land right now and it's. A good 500 to 750 an acre above what it was a year ago probably. okay all right but i just that i think it i think we just went through like a little spike it was like it was like aggressive um it was like inflation that happened quickly so you actually noticed it yep but i don't oh. think it's going anywhere you know no no and if it does it'll probably be gradual when uh, the last time it hit in 08 was was uh, pretty much just residential. Yeah, you but know, let's let, okay. Let's discuss the the differences from now and then. Yep. Okay. The biggest issue there was there was like it was like the wild wild west of lending. Correct. So people were subprime mortgaging houses and weren't actually paying the principal. They were just paying interest for like years. And then after five years, the idea was that they would refi somehow and get into an easier payment, but that just never happened. The whole system kind of collapsed. What was your kind of like thought of that? Yeah, my thought of that is also on the opposite end was they were overpaying up front. And one thing that came out of 08 is the fact that banks now have to lend on the lesser of the purchase price or the appraised value. So in this one scenario is that uh, you're going to buy a rental for $100,000 in town. You and I both know you're getting a deal on it uh, because you just got a deal on it. And the appraisal comes back, it comes back at $150,000. And you're like, hey, Jared, I don't have to put any money down. I said, absolutely. Actually, I can't. You have to put money down still because I have to lend on the lesser of the purchase price or the appraised mm. value. Back in 08, there was deals like this going on where the appraisals would come back at $50,000 higher and they would lend at, lend at the 150 and not require anything down. So people were doing crazy cash outs. Um, and I'm starting to see banks do things like that because now what's coming into to play is that a lot of banks are doing um, their own appraisals they're doing their own in-house internal in-house appraisals based on a computer program and they're basing it all on what the market's going for right now or they're basing it on assumptions that i don't agree with and to get deals done they're having to stretch out amortizations they're having to lower interest rates they're trying to they're trying to fit this block into a into a round hole and you're starting to see banks have the tendencies like they did in 08 and it's it's a little scary. So, you do have concern then a little bit. I do have a little concern on the on the residential side. Correct. Yep. Not so much on the on the land side. Like I said, they're not going to make any more land. And well, you go back even even then in this area, and land prices actually never even dropped during that time. Correct. They held steady, and then they blew up right after. Kind yep. of. Yep. Yep. Yeah, but you look at uh, the residential side, it's a lot more volatile. So, um, but interest rates are lower. Yep. During that time, interest rates were like at 8 to 12% or something, I think. I believe back in 08 when things were happening, they were low as well. Really? Yeah, I believe they were low as well. Don't call me on, don't uh, quote me on that. I was a credit analyst at the time, and that was when right after that, 
that's when uh, the FDIC was cracking down on banks, bad loans, and we were doing problem loan reports, we called them weekly, daily. It was pretty, pretty insane. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, residential, it's it's almost like kind of, it's kind of like when the gas prices were like 99 cents. Like that's what I I related to. I was like, I don't like this. It doesn't feel right. And like some of the stuff that's happening in the residential side right now, like I don't like it. Like it doesn't feel like, like why are normal people so crazed about buying these houses? I don't get it. Yeah. Like why is there, I don't understand like the craze. For real estate? Yes. Because um, it's not just, it's not like people moving from out of the area doing this. It's like people who live here. Yeah. Are be, being crazy. Yeah. It goes back to, it goes back to your point about diversifying income and diversifying their personal financial statement, adding more to that uh, fixed asset side, you know, adding homes to it, adding rentals to it. So that's really the craze now. And, and uh, because the demand is so high and the supply is so low, you're seeing, you're now seeing more realtors than there are homes for sale out there. Um, this is the, yeah. I forget the stat, but you know, how many realtors get added per day. You're hearing a lot of people just becoming realtors just because of what they're seeing in the market. And uh, there's a new, you know, all the obviously podcasts is making real estate more popular too. You're having a lot of podcasts on, on real estate. You're seeing a lot of people buy into this Burr method uh, in which you uh, buy, uh, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat. And people are going back to banks and kind of their rule. People are going out and buying uh, buying a piece of real estate for $100,000. They're sticking, uh, sticking just $20,000 into it. They're renting it out. And then they go back to the bank and be like, hey, I put this much money into it. I'm renting it for this much. And the banks are coming back with values that, seem a little unrealistic right now you know go back to the internal appraisal thing they're internally appraising them say hey they're worth uh they're worth this much and there's nothing to really trace back to it because they're having to do a 25-year amortization just to support the cash flow you know and they're and they're taking the cash out and they move on to the next one so the thought is you know basically playing the uh, playing the cash flow game and you know, the, they're not creating a lot of net worth, but they're creating, you know, enough cash to keep them going. And it's kind of do more than less, you know, kind of the, the saying where if I were to buy one, I would buy a piece of real estate and I'd want a 15 to 20 year am because I don't want to create net worth and uh, be okay with whatever cash flow comes in. Because in five years, when I've paid down five years of principal, I can sell it and I know that I'm going to make X amount based on when I purchased it, what I put into it, and what I paid the loan down by. Yeah. So I'm looking for so the So my argument on that is how, how confident are you what you can do with your money? Because if you pay down, so a 15-year, between a 15-year and 30-year, you're looking at over time, it's like uh, that same cash. If, you're, if you can do better than like 5% return on it, Correct. You would make more elsewhere. Yeah. That would be my only argument on that. Right. <clears throat> but I do battle with that same thing all the time. Yeah. And you're looking and you look at uh, you look at the customers that I work with. I really pay attention to what the uh, to what the we'll call it the veterans are doing right yeah. now. And they're like I mentioned before, they're selling off their single family homes, duplexes and even some triplexes. 
and they are moving into kind of the big multifamily, the big apartment, you know, buildings. Anybody who, I mean, look at the person who was like 30, I don't know, anybody who had cash in 08 who were able to buy, and then they held for 10 years. Correct. 12 years, and they're sitting in a position right now. Yep. Or seem like they're cashing out. Yes. Yep. Because they know what they're going to make on it right now. Well, um, and then they can like retire almost. Like they're just like done. I've seen, I've talked to a few people where it's like, yeah, they got big in 08 and they got stuff for so cheap and now they're yep. unloading everything and they're, they're pretty much just, yep, they did it. Correct. And they're keeping, you know, they have their good cash flowers and keeping that. But like the, the problem properties are the ones that were kind of a headache or weren't performing as well. Correct. Unload them and. Yep. Yep. And they're getting, like I said, they're getting those, uh, those 120 times rents, which seems insane to me because banks have the interest because the interest rates are so low and because they're willing to do a longer amortization 25 years to make it work. Mm -hmm. So after someone, what is, what are the things that people should do to like set themselves up to get qualified? Yeah. Setting themselves up to be qualified. Um, definitely try and save up the down payment, you know, whatever, if it's a goal you really have in mind, like, you really want to go out and buy hunting land, you know, do what it takes, you know, pick up that second job, get certified to sell real estate on the side, you know, save as <laughs> much cash. Else? Yeah. Save as much cash as you can. Um, but also, um, I've seen people get it done because they've, uh, they've bought rentals. They've bought uh, other assets that, uh, that are appreciating a value that we could tap into. Uh, the rentals are the biggest thing. You know, throwing your money into a uh, TD Ameritrade account, you could take that as uh, as collateral mm -hmm. for the purchase. So it's just growing your growing your personal balance sheet is the biggest thing. And speaking, you know, kind of outside. Sorry for all the parents out there, but uh, I see people. You know, if the parents have a big brokerage account or they have a free and clear home, they're using they're using their parents because their parents are okay with it and they're willing to do that for them. Um, so it's surrounding yourself with someone that's willing to help you as well. Yeah, I did that with my parents and it wasn't, I don't think you look at it. I well, first of all, I would never accept a handout. I, you know, you present it as a business opportunity, you present it as an opportunity for them. And I mean, it's, it works, it's working out for them, you know, just as well 100%. as me. So, yep. I completely agree with that. And I think people get caught up on that. Like. Like you, I don't, you're not asking, like you're presenting an opportunity to people. Yeah. And yep. you, if you're confident in it, like you also have the responsibility that if it flops, it's on you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you but, have to accept that. But, but at but. the same time, you know, they're saying yes too. So if it flops, you know, you right. didn't, you didn't force them to do it. You know, they still have to sign the same paperwork that you do. So they also, they also, uh, you know, take it on as well. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it was a, it's a situation where they were set up because they'd, they'd played it safe forever. And it's and me looking at it from a business perspective from their side. It's like, you, you guys, you know, you can make some money now. Like, you go, like, try to, like, do something a little more risky than yep. nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, but, it goes back to just kind of people's purposes. What, what do they want to do? Yeah. You know, we were talking and, uh, I enjoy working my W2 job. I like that. I like helping people. I like coming out here and talking and helping people's dreams come through. And you well, know, you me, seem to have a good one. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You guys, you, it's a cool bank to work yeah, at. And it's, stuff. 
it's definitely cool. It's very enjoyable. And for me, from a standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm probably along your parents' line. I want to, I want to throw money in my 401k right now. I want to pay down my house. I want to pay off my truck as soon as possible and just enjoy my life. And, uh, you know, someday maybe dabble into something. Well, that's, and that's definitely, I mean, that's how you get disconnected from the system though, too. That's your best way to do it. Correct. Yeah. Anytime you have debt, you're technically tied to something. You're tied to something, hundred percent. Yep. It's all perspective. But debt is like we talk do. about all the time. Like debt is a, a mindset too. Yeah, you gotta. You, know? you really do have to make uh, spend money to make money. You really do. It seems to be like that. I was talking to Steve, um, a, a mutual friend, and uh, I was we we're talking about you double kind of getting more Airbnbs and stuff. And he's like, every time in my life that I've doubled down on something, taken a risk, and like spent a bunch of money or went and got a big loan, it just works out. Like you end up making more money because, like, what are you gonna do with that loan? You're not gonna sit there and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. It's also like a thing. Is like once you do it, then you gotta have to do it. Yeah. You know, it forces you into action. Which yeah is a lot of what stops people too. Yep, that's absolutely right. You know, I have I have someone that I consider now a friend that uh, helped out um, that didn't, that just had a free and clear piece of property and uh, wanted to build a spec home. And now two years later, you know, we're talking, we're talking probably close to a million dollars in profits. Nice. You know, because, because I saw it in him, it was, it's, it's who you know, because it was a referral from a friend and it was uh, someone that went on a limb for him and said, hey, you know, I absolutely would if I could help him. And, uh, you know, I took, I took a leap of faith on him as well. And, and it all works out for everyone. You talk about doubling down and, and, uh, and put, taking out a big loan. There's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of customers that I help that, that uh, will come back and say, hey, Jared, you're the reason why I have the net worth that I do because, because I use well, debt and you the are. right way. Cause you look at when you get into that mindset or like kind of that decision making and I'm kind of like there, I'm, I'm deciding that right now. It's like, do you go the investor route or do you go the bank route? Cause there's, this is kind of like the, or kind of a hybrid of two, you know, when you say investor route, what do you mean by investor route? Like you have investors that finance. Oh yeah, absolutely. Then, then they're, they're, they're just the, they're the bank. Yeah. They're the bank. Yeah. Absolutely. Or you go half and half. Like they supply like the down yeah. payment and cash or, yep. but, uh, but then you're dealing like then you they they're relying on you're like once again there's moving moving pieces to that too like it's yeah. not as simple as there's consequence to everything yeah. are they going to be involved in your business are they gonna are they gonna dictate what you can and can't do yeah you know from a bank standpoint you know we we can't tell you what to do we can present the facts and say hey here's what we see the market doing here's here's an opportunity that we see that you could do. Here's what we see as your strengths, your weaknesses. You know, here's what we see the threat coming from the economy right now, or from uh, from kind of your competition. Um, you know, you get an investor in there. You know, are they going to be they going to be listing your LLC? Are they going to start calling the shots? You know, are they going to start are they going to start deterring you from what your vision is and what you do best? Yeah, are they going to take back some control? Yep. You know, you go back to you go back to my example with the. Uh, person that does the spec homes you know i didn't get involved you know he did he did his thing i did my thing we each had a role and and it's been a prosperous relationship yeah it's 
it's something I think about an awful lot, actually. Um, so we move into the actual like lending. Like, what are the different types of lending someone can look at for hunting property? If you say say we're looking at a sixty-acre parcel that's just timber, ag, no uh, house. Yeah. Are you are you solely stuck in the commercial side there? I'm solely stuck in the commercial side. Correct. Yeah, that's where the computers of the world are really, really good um, because they specialize in that. They see it every day. They're closer to what's going on in the market with all that land. Uh, and that's where – and their, uh, their source of funding is a little different, so they can offer you a 20-year fixed rate. On the commercial side with me, you know, you're looking at a five-year balloon, but we may be a little more outside the box where, hey, I got to use my uncle and my grandpa and my dad's cash value life insurance and a brokerage account for my down payment. You know, we can look at that yeah. and, and use all that. I don't know if the computers of the world, the people that specialize in the lending to purchase land that's not income producing, you know, hunting land without a cabin. I don't know if they can go quite outside the box like that. That's where we can come in and and do that, you know, um, and then document that. Hey, you know, you could you're gonna you could rent it out to the, the neighbor down the street to hunt and, and charge them. A conventional financing, which is what we're looking, like what most people are familiar with, is just like mm-hmm. the thirty year lower interest rate. Yeah, fix. That comes in if there's a residence that would be considered to be livable. Correct. That you would technically be living in or it'd be considered your second home. Correct, yeah. So when you talk about like and for acreage that scenario, being attached to it and stuff, like what is – because it gets yeah. weird. Like if you – say it's like a 300-acre parcel but there's a house on it. You can't – it's not going to be straight all conventional, is it? You could you could try and you can try and do conventional on that scenario as long as you can prove that it's non-income producing. The Freddie Max and the Fannie Mae's of the world, you know, secondary market <clears throat> financing. You're talking a 30-year fixed rate. You have to prove that it's non-income producing. So you could buy a house with acreage on it, but you can't show that you're getting income off of it because as soon as you do, it's a business purpose. That's the route I would go if me personally, I was buying a 40. With a house on it right now, I would try and do a conventional. Um, you know, it's not going to produce any income for them. You know, the, we're, we're going to get it done on the conventional route. I'm going to get a 30-year fixed rate. Me being me, I'm going to make the payment at 15 years. But if I lose my job, I know that I'm, I can make the 30-year payment and be just fine. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, so, like rental, crop rental. Yeah. Where does how what's the definition on the income producer? Um, like are they actually coming into your books after that and like looking? No. So this is all before the fact when when you get it done. Let's so it's say your I buy purpose. That, it's my purpose. Yeah. It's the the forty acres. So if you happen upon someone who wanted to rent your land, you know, the next year. Yeah. After it's done, after it's on the books, it's on the books. The bank the bank doesn't get involved and and check up on you. Uh, to make sure that it's not income producing. They don't check up on that. They're just concerned about the payment still being made. So how would you, how would we describe a 300 acre parcel with a house that it is not income producing, but it has a bunch of open ag fields. You, you just say it's not, you would just say it's uh, just fields. Yep. And that would come down to the appraiser. With the secondary market, it comes down to the appraiser, and are they going to note in there that it's income producing? Hmm. You know, you do. We've done plenty of hobby farms, 
Um, yeah, the hobby the, farm is kind of a weird one just, too, right? Yeah, they're just on their they're just on their own, and you know they're not income producing. The appraisers just has to go out there and and see that it's not income producing. What are they looking for? Because <laughs> um, I can tell you, this thing ain't income producing. Yeah. But there's yeah. animals on it, so. Yep. Uh, they're looking for no animals present, no yeah. machines kind of present, just taking pictures of outbuildings and the land. Huh. It's a game. It's playing within, playing within playing rules. Playing within the rules, yeah. Yep. Yep. And on the consumer side, on that fixed rate residential financing, if you did 300 acres in your house, it's checking all those boxes. You know, the commercial side, we're a little wi more wide open. Commercial gives you a lot more flexibility on the front end. A lot more flexibility and gets it done faster generally too. It's starting to catch up a little bit because um, of how busy the residential side is. So it's kind of put some pressure on the bank and their loan processing departments to do something fast enough. Same with the title companies. So therefore the turnaround time could be closer to residential but I can still say that commercial will close faster than residential. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird how simple it is. Mm -hmm. You're talking, you're talking five, 10 pages, you know, five, six <clears throat> signatures and all the disclosures on the residential side. It's Cause the commercial is handled private. It's a private trans it's private within the bank, right? It's in the bank. We're still governed by the FDIC. There's still certain regulations that we have to go by. Um, but it's not as heavy, heavily regulated as the Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae's of the world when it was uh, kind of clamped down after 08. Yeah. Um, what is what, what's something that you're, you've been you've seen with people who um, like? What are some of the things that maybe maybe a, a transaction's gotten started and it's fallen apart? You know, for people who are buying a second home or buying that land, or you know, they have a kind of a standard lifestyle and then for whatever reason the deal falls through like what is what are some of the things that you see because no deal is ever simple so like for when when people get into this like not only do they need to prep for the you don't know, even get pre-qualified but it's like you need to have your stuff in order like during the process too because things can pop up yeah correct so it could fall apart in several ways like if you're coming to the table and you're looking at buying that house with 40 acres um and let's say you're going to do on the commercial side because you're going to rent out the egg land and you're going to use that as a second home. It could fall apart at the beginning where you couldn't qualify, you know, as simple as a collection shows up on your credit report or you have too many 30-day uh, Yeah, as simple as a charter spectrum claiming that I did not send in the goddamn <laughs> router. Yep. And calling me a year and a half later and was like, oh, by the way, you're in collections. Like, uh, no, I'm not. Yeah. Yep. It could be simple, some, something as simple as that. Um, God, I hate those people. It could be, uh, obviously, bigger ones. If you don't have the equity or the down payment to put down, it stops there. Um, it could go to uh, the fact that you have an offer to purchase on a uh, for the property, and, and you start looking at comparables, and the bank doesn't believe that it's, uh, that it's priced fairly, that you're overpaying for it. Um, which gets confirmed when the appraisal doesn't come in, so it stops there. You'd have to make up and, and pay the difference between the appraisal and purchase price plus 20% of the purchase price, so you're on the hook for even more. And uh, you could get disqualified, or not disqualified, but not be able to get it done because you don't make enough money to pay the loan. 
And then on the side that the bank can't control, the uh, seller could get cold feet. You know, the inspection, if you decide to get an inspection report done, the house comes back where it's got a crooked foundation. It's going to cost a lot of money to get it fixed, and you're not willing to do that, so it falls through there. Or it could go to where uh, it doesn't have a clean title. So there's there's just so many things that can Being go proactive wrong. is the key. Yeah. And yep. assume, uh, the assumption that nobody's speaking to anybody. Like Correct. that's how I kind of assume like, um, cause you go through these like processes and you're like, well, obviously the insurance guy must be talking to the like appraiser, like all these people, but it's like, no, everybody's got to be included. That's what you do really well, where you can include everyone on the email threads. Like, yep. and I would say you go above and beyond what normal people do. So like just Correct. even assuming like what your lenders aren't, your lenders most likely aren't speaking to the realtors, aren't speaking to the insurance people, like. Yeah, I'm talking to assume that is always going to be better than to assume the opposite, where you're assuming people are getting stuff done because you you be the one driving. But you and you have a million things going on. Correct. Like you have a million people that you're dealing with. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, lots of people to deal with, and uh, the the biggest thing on the front end, any of those front end things to to happen, you know, character is a big thing on the commercial side. You know, do we trust the person? Are they going to do everything to make it work? biggest thing is coming in as early as possible when you have this idea to buy land or do this business get a good banker start yeah start, start understanding the system understanding their underwriting standards on what they're going to do to get this done for you and getting pre-approved i got a guy that uh just started talking to that owns uh, quite a bit of land free and clear he's like hey how can i how can i leverage this how can i get into more rentals you know what can i do you know if 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 I want to consolidate some debt, can I use this free and clear land? He doesn't even know for sure, but he's talking to me and saying, hey, I'll send you my tax returns. I'll send you my PFS. Can you pull credit on me and just let me know what I can do? I say, hey, you look you look great. Everything looks great. You got strong W-2 income and uh, you're good. Whatever you want to do, we just got to make sure that the deal itself cash flows. So when you go to buy the next egg land, you know, is it going to rent out and, and uh, cash flow and, and pay the loan? The rental that you buy, is that going to cash flow and pay itself? Then yes, then you're done. But the, but the thing to do up front is establish that relationship with that banker and get pre-approved because then they have on the radar of, hey, you know, Joe's looking for, for a rental that, uh, that's a duplex in La Crosse and makes this much money. Well, it just so happens that, uh, that I know of one that's, that's for sale off the market and I'm going to hook you up with it. Yeah. And I'd say from the realtor's perspective too, like you can't get much done unless you really know what you're even able to go after. Correct. Yep. You just can't, especially yep. right now, the market's too aggressive. Like you just won't find a realtor that's going to be like, be like, Oh, don't worry. You're not pre-approved or have any idea what you can afford. The, yep. No problem. We'll just keep looking blindly for you. It's yeah. like, you have to take an inventory of yourself. You know, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and, you know, what's my what's my personal financial statement look like? Yeah. You know, what is what is Even if it's kind of gross in? and then yeah. trying to figure out what your next step is. And I've literally seen everything. And so if someone came in and, you know, felt embarrassed in that, don't be. And I see so many numbers every day that I forget them from one to the next. Yeah. But as I, soon as I, I have to I mean, call them, I had I no idea how the system worked and I went and tried to, cause I was, I was at a point then where I was making enough money where I was like, I can afford a house. And then, uh, but I had, 
I'd never, I'd net, I'd never looked at my credit report yeah. or anything. Yep. And I had a weird, I had a credit card that, uh, had like an $8 limit or $8 like thing on it that didn't get paid, but I must've been paid at some point, but it showed up as a, as a, a late pay, like a, a missed payment. Yep. And, uh, and then it like wrecked my credit for a while. Yeah. And I had never paid attention to my credit. So like, it wasn't great, mm-hmm. but I, I turned it around in like six months. Yep. And then it's it, because it's like, once you start paying attention to it, it's not that difficult to No, no, it's not. And the biggest thing is just to be transparent with your banker and, and yeah. really all you gotta do if, if you're, if all of a sudden you purchase a rental and you know, all of a sudden you know, the renters can't afford it. And next thing you know, you're behind and just be upfront with your banker. Like, Hey, here's what's going on, you know, because you and the banker have the same objective and that's to, that's to get out of this loan, either to pay it off and just to pay it off, you know, and for everything, for all the payments to be made on time, both have the same goals for sure. Yeah. You gotta work with each other just to do it, you know, and I've seen so much, we've seen everything that nothing, Nothing should embarrass you. You you are who you are. You know, you look at yeah, it, you and learn at least from in it. the convers at least if you start the conversation with someone like Jared, then you can at least know where you need to get to. Yeah, absolutely. Cause then just start I felt like that was because when I was a cop and I don't know, people told me when I was younger like not to buy a house because like then you have to pay for the appliances and like pay for stuff breaking down. Yeah. Which was just idiotic see, advice at the time. Because see, that's crazy because I still uh, remember my professor Ogden up in uh, Eau Claire Finance, and he said, you eat ramen noodles for a year. You eat macaroni and cheese for a year. You get into that house as soon as you can. You start building up your, your net worth that I talked about. He's like, I can't stand it. I drive past apartment buildings, and I see young guys like you guys just graduating college jumping into their beamer why are you doing that that's stupid and uh that that stuck with me i bought my first house for eighty six thousand dollars 2009 i was making i was making 950 an hour as a teller and i was also making 12 dollars an hour at culver's i was working basically two two full-time jobs but they they can only use one full-time job they can't consider the second job full-time unless you've been doing it for two years or whatever it was but anyways i had to i got qualified and approved on nine dollars and fifty cents an hour wow so when someone says hey i only make this much you just got to put your mind to it you can do anything yeah the, there are no boundaries it's you have limitless possibilities yeah or limit yeah eliminate your other payments then yeah it's just a balance sheet yep that's how what much it was. you make and how much you expense out so if you have a dumb car payments. payment yep like a a forty thousand dollar truck what are the payments on that probably like 600 600 well, yeah it's the same exact payment of a hundred and twenty thousand dollar house yeah a 30 year note yeah i'm i'm <laughs> seven hundred and twenty dollars all in on my house yeah. bought for end up getting a different house in 2013 hundred and one thousand dollars yeah and you know i i like this i like uh i like growing my own food i like raising my own chickens and guess what i can do that right in the city of lacrosse yeah that's cool and that's what i do yeah, it's a it's a mindset thing. I think uh, just beginning. In, in another thing, I th- I had never 
push my brain to think about it when I was a cop either, but I was much more lendable then. Yeah. Because when yes, I left were. being a cop and went into the yeah. private sector, then I was like screwed. And that yeah. was another issue I ran into too when I just applied and I was like, well, I'm making this much money now. Obviously hand me over the loan. And they're like, uh, no, we don't take, they didn't accept any of this income under the conventional standards. Yep. Um, so it was just a wildly bad advice from people I trusted when I was younger. Yep. Because I, like, I could have gotten, if I would have bought a house when I was a cop, when I left, I could have sold it. I would have made a shitload of money. Plus, I had unlimited amount of people to rent it. I mean, we were renting houses with a group of dudes. Yep. It was just stupid. Yep. But it's just, it is, it's uncomfortable, though, to learn how to get to these points, too. Like, learn how to go through the lending process. It's not, it's not exactly, like, overly fun. Like, it is a lot of extra work than just not doing anything. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's. You're asking someone to give you It's intrusive. Too like you have to hand over. I guess yeah, yeah. So you you mentioned it before. Like obviously people think that like they're kind of embarrassed of like their credit scores or Don't even be. the amount of money they're making or something. Yep. Everyone's got their own story. Hell yeah. Well, anything else that we need to cover for the land stuff? How to buy so. some land? There's there's a That's million it. things you can do, man. It's I think the easiest thing is even just to get in a conversation with somebody who's somebody who's competent in this area too like that's important because there's a wildly different spectrum of competence in lenders correct yep i learned that one the hard way too but then i fell on jared (laughs) so all right man we appreciate you joining us and thanks a lot go out and buy some land from me and use jared as lender (laughs) there you go see ya expenses that go with it and then you'll have obviously a sum all for all of it and then uh i guess i guess what i was saying is i see that I see the way to do it mm-hmm. on land. Yeah. It's a, it is a unfortunate equation when you, when you sit back and you look at it from just business perspective, uh-huh. cause the margins are soaking outrageous. So tight you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That, and that's why, like, I don't think my brain is meant to operate a business like that because like I've seen other businesses with giant like different margins where then you look at this this business model with margins you're like why would i take that risk yeah why are farmers still farming nope but they they haven't they haven't seen that though they haven't seen that like a good business you know you're looking at like a 40 percent profit margin or something like 50 percent even yeah it's like this is like five line of 10 percent probably (laughs) yeah you know and your total probably bottom line margin is probably one percent. Your net income is probably one percent of yeah. your total revenue. And you'd be, and you, yeah, and you'd be taking. But that's the thing: the government makes it. If you if you bow down to the government, it's not a risk. Correct. You're not at risk. At Correct. For anything. That's why. That's but you're not why. gonna make money though. No. <laughs> it's no, like a gonna, weird break even. It's like a weird employee job. Uh huh. Yep. A weird employee like business. Yeah. That's why the old statistic back in like 2014 was um, 10%. It's something along the lines of 10% of all farm operations have 90% of all the debt. Mm. Yeah, that makes it sense. Was something just ridiculous like that. Because the, the equipment and like the overhead stuff is so crazy. Yep. And it's so crazy the, the uh, psychology behind it all. Like how they get them in so early, because mm-hmm. it's like, um, 
so working through the NRCS stuff, which is a government funded program. Yep. But it's technically supposed to be for bettering, like improving farming. Yep. I mean, they try to make you like they were trying to like make me till and make me spray. Yeah. Yep. Or make me like note, and it's like the equipment that they to for them to deem acceptable as a way to plant. They don't and. We're not talking about the end result. Right. Like, come back in a year and judge it then. Yeah. We're talking about, like, putting it in. Mm-hmm. They're trying to push on, like, no-till equipment, which is, you can, well, first of all, it's hard to rent it because you can't find it around here. So yep. if you wanted to buy it, it'd be another 25 grand. Yeah. Um, spraying, yep. tilling, uh-huh. or tilling again, you know, there's that's another piece of equipment if you wanted to do that. So it's cost you money. So that so relationship they get, they, right there with them it's is... It's like a psychology that tells you that you have to spend a lot of money to get any type of return. But it, the math never works out. No. <laughs> like, no. That's a problem with this country. <laughs> that, that right there is a microcosm of this country. Hey, but you got to look at all the money associated with. You just hit the... You just hit the herbicide industry. You hit the equipment industry. Right. You're hitting all those industries. Yeah, it's 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 all corporate stuff. You're gonna give them put meat on the market, and you're gonna and you're gonna disrupt the you're gonna well you're gonna you'll disrupt the the job like because if you think about it, enter into a business person's mind, and we're talking about business people who are so far above on greed on like everything than what I even could probably conceptualize. Yes, because if you sit back and you're like. What market should you be in if you wanted to like run the world? It's like Thanks. I would probably control the um, food what market because every human needs to eat food. But what, even beyond that, what does every human want and need? Money. Well, yeah, they're all and they're all like commingled together. So there's like right. there's like these five people who are like yeah. we're just gonna have all these giant well, industries. Yeah, when you talk about uh, when you talk about the government and that. Me coming to you and saying, hey, I want to build my barn on my farm. And they say, yes, and you go and build it. Did they make any money on that? Anything like that? No. No. Yes is yes doesn't make money. No does. No, you have to go through A, B, and C. First, you got to get a building permit. Then you got to have someone come out. You gotta You have to buy a piece of wood that has a stamp on it that's certified that you can use it which touches that industry you're touching the government by <laughs> that was interesting with the nrcs they so they allow uh those like round posts yeah those are older ones right there with that similar size yeah you would you would be disqualified from the program if you use railroad ties why is not i don't not know money in the industry because they're cheaper yeah, and exactly. they're like they're be they're like they're yeah. like recycled pieces of something but they're that. Yeah. So they're 10 times more sturdy. They'll uh-huh. probably last longer. Yeah. They're soaked in oil or whatever. They're soaked in from wherever they were being used. Like, yep. they're technically treated. Yep. It just goes it's back crazy. to the whole machine. You know, as soon as you sign on that line, they grab government money. Look out for all the requirements that you got below it. Yeah, it's, it's not worth it. No. Both those programs have been... A disaster for me. Yep. Not a disaster, but it's like I'll never do this again. Yeah. There's money is not. It's like the FSA thing. It's like fifty grand. You have to pay it back in a year, and it's like. Makes no sense. What a stupid. 
Like, I guess, like, if this was your life and you needed to make a living on it, so then maybe, can, but... So then they can say, hey, we help out the farmers, we help out the, we help out the hobby farmers of the world. Or if it just paid for the real estate, it's worth it, too. Like, right. But yeah. it's not a world that's meant to be... Like, the system is not meant to be set up where people are just making great livings doing this. Mm-hmm. Compared to other avenues it's crazy but it's it could be like it could be like if the if the if the dairy farmers were selling raw milk out of their bulk tanks and they had 150 people who were paying a monthly subscription then all they did was show up at the person's door and grab their milk once you know twice three times a month yep. it could be six, like everyone would be willing winning then yeah the people would be drinking actual milk that wouldn't poison them think about <laughs> the price too the price would be probably the price would be similar to what is in a store, and you so like you could get things that are similar to what's in the store, yep. and the quality is going to be 10, 10x. Yep. Like no, you're never going to get anything for like a dollar, but you shouldn't be getting anything for a dollar. Food is not meant to be consumed for one dollar. No. <laughs> no. It does not. Like the chicken that we raise and eat, the quality of that compared to other things. It doesn't. It's just. I think it's. It's like a. It's like I've lost like ignorance, like like naive to like what is happening. Yeah. It's like gone. Good. It's like, wow, the farming stuff isn't that hard. The system is completely working against these people. Correct. How unfair is it for someone to be like a person that wanted to farm and do it for their whole life to have the same type of like things that I've had. Where, like, I have marketing knowledge and I have, like, business knowledge. Why would they ever get that? That's not fair for them to have to do that. No. Technically, like, plus it's hard to give that up, man. I mean, you, you're, if you have a guaranteed sale at the end of whatever thing that you're creating. Yeah. And you have to deal with nobody except you just ship your animals off and you sell them or you ship your milk off and you get a check. Yeah. Even though the check isn't good. Yep. You're not interacting with people. There's no customer support. Yeah. There's no. There's no other parts. It's not a real full. It's not a fully operating business. You are just a one piece of a subcontracted business. Cog. Yeah. Yep. I don't know what the solution is. Free marketplace, probably. Yeah. Free marketplace. Well, COVID's proven that that is uh, that's a thing. You see yeah. it all over Facebook and that. Well, people you can't post meat that. on Facebook. You can't what? They've completely shut that shit down. On Marketplace? Yeah. A year ago, I could post, and I'd sell a bunch of stuff. What? Uh, burger and steaks and stuff, just yeah. on Marketplace. No overhead, no advertising costs, nothing. Yeah. And they just took it away. <laughs> like, they, you cannot get it approved now. What 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 say do they have over it? What is... It, they, they call it a... It gets labeled as, as a, a live animal that up there's something hidden hidden even below there it's the same thing this is this is what facebook does yeah i mean take it from my well it's and they change the rules all the time yeah like because you can create business a business a successful business just through there oh 100 percent. but then they can change the rules yeah so like our business a couple years ago, we had most of our advertising, most of our expenses were running through Facebook. Yep. Well, if you're putting a dollar and you're getting two out, it's like playing the lottery, but you always win. Yep. Not can change the rules. No. No. Nope. <laughs> and then ev- and then everything's just like, 
Yeah, same thing in marketplace though. I mean, I know people who were they had like I know a guy that ha he was raising almost a thousand chickens a summer, and that's how they'd sell all of them. And he'd done it for five years, so he went into this year looking to do it again. Yep. Can't get it on there. They got stuck with like three hundred that they couldn't sell. Yeah, then it goes back to who's who's padding their pockets to tell them, hey. We, well, it just there's there's that. no common sense. It's not a live animal. There's nothing, but you're disrupting the food system. Yeah. And the food system at the top is where the most money is being made. Yeah. Because if you wanted to be ahead of a business and you wanted to be ahead of an industry, everybody's got to eat. Yep. Corporations up there are, I think, see, like those are the corporations I think are the big, like they're the ones running shit. The, the food plants and like that? the big meat packers and like those big big top of the pyramid food food places well then it doesn't help like how could you get any bigger than that how could you get any bigger than that yeah what, what and why that just comes down to greed and then you got bill gates greed. that wants to make meat in a factory or make meat make meat in a lab soy right using soy i don't know what he wants to so do. my theory on like push everyone pushing on like the soy or uh what is the burger that soy burgers, right? That's what was popular a couple years ago. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Starbucks has got a wonderful meat or something. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, I think it's made out of soy. Okay. Well, soy is not good for not you. meant for human consumption. No, <laughs> it's no. just not. No, it's just and it's not much better than <laughs> corn and than what it does to the ground. Like it's a big estrogen contributor too. It it just doesn't make any sense, dude. Money. And then it gets, and then, but it's it's money and it's good marketing too because I think it's like the okay so like the big meat packers, the business model makes sense because they they looked at it and they're like the riskiest part of this business model is the actual act of owning land and the act of owning the animals like that's the most risky part of this. Yeah. If you look at it from start to finish, okay, uh, animal gets birthed, gets raised. Gets cut up, and that's where the corporations enter. Yep. Because all that beginning portion, you got to own land. You have to own the animals. Yep. The animals die. You have to own all the equipment. The overhead's way more. Right. So then you have the next business that steps in, which is like the, the uh, processing plants. Yep. Which they have a hand in for sure. Correct. And then the end consumer, the sales. I mean, yep. that's that's where they thrive in. Yeah. And the big meat plaquing plants, they can pinch all the farmers and they can drive down the prices. It's crazy. Yep. Or, yeah, it's nuts. Shots. Like the last year. Well, that's where all your money goes when you raise cattle. Yeah. Yep. To get it processed, to even get it to the person. And their margins at the meat packing <clears throat> plant going to the next step are bigger than the, the guy at the bottom. The guy at the bottom is making the least amount. For sure. Yep. Yeah, it's a... So then you go to the back to the marketplace... They're cutting that off because they want these guys up here to make the money. Yep. And But if you were to come here and say, I'm just going to skip all of it, we're going to process our own meat because it doesn't take yeah. a scientist to do that. It's not yep. very difficult. Everyone's gutted their own deer and cut their own deer meat up, and I don't think anyone's getting sick. Yep. Well, there's no reason why we couldn't do that. I know. But if you did that on farm, you'd be considered a psychopath criminal. Yep. Like you might get your place raided. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like so they, they implant these laws and rules around, like, the public safety. They call it public safety. Yeah, it's wild. Didn't that sound familiar during COVID? <laughs> it did. 
<laughs> yeah, everything gets wrapped into public safety and yep. virtue signaling. Yeah. How, how so, do they know what's best for me or what's best for you? Not only is it your health, but it's your soul. They want to keep your soul healthy, too. Yep. Yep. Make sure that you're on the right path and you're in the pristine, like, you're supposed to have the correct yeah. mindset. And Yep. Yeah, it, doesn't it make you think like the people who are in those positions, like the only way you could possibly be in those positions is if you were a psychopath? Say unethical. Yeah. Like I don't see another route to yeah. it. Because yeah. like every step I've ever taken in business where it's like if you were take, choosing like the ethical or like or, or if I was like feeling like I'm like this doesn't feel right. Like, but you, 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 I can see the things that you could do if you just didn't, if I didn't have that. If you look the other, uh, other yeah, way. If yeah. you didn't have that. Yep. There is easy ways to make money. Uh-huh. Unethical ways to make money. Yep. Yeah. It was like through all this, how many billionaires got added to the list through COVID and that someone was still making money, you know, Dude, there was nothing, nothing changed. No money changed. No. The amount of money being spent went up. Yeah. Because they printed it. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's all printed, it just got it's transferred. It's all printed out of debt. Yeah. You have money out of debt. Everything is out of debt. Yeah. So that's, as us being little guys, though, like, that's kind of my concept. It's like, if you can get comfortable with debt and if you can manipulate debt, you are, in a way, in a sense, playing the game that they're playing. Correct. But you just have to... You have to be educated what you're doing. Yep. Yep. It's it is wild to me the people that don't like get in depth with lending. Like don't know like what's really happening behind the scenes on it. But the and they're but they're either like dismissive with it, they're like, Oh, I can't take on I can't pay for that. Yeah. It's like, well yeah, you can't. It's easy. Just a simple mindset shift. I can't do that, or how can I do that? Yeah, it's basically just income minus expenses. You gotta, I know. you gotta go easy. Like with this operation, you break down each income source, you break down all the expenses that come with it, and then obviously you got the houses, you know. So then that's gonna be its own separate line. You're not gonna have an income on going on that, but you got the expenses. So is the rest of it gonna make up for that? It's just, it's simple. Is really what it is. Yeah, and and if you look at it just like, well, if it was the stock market, you should put money in and not expect anything back out either. Yeah. Until the end. Yep. If you looked at it just like that, it still wins. And you have no control over it. Here you got control of it. Yep. Okay, if I get up at 6 a.m. every morning and I feed all my all my cattle, they're going to stay alive and I'm going to get to the end. Yeah, you do. Like, I looked at it. I was like, well, I used to go for, like, well, you, like I go on, like, these sprees, like, working out. But I used to go on, like, these psychotic walks all the time. I was doing, like, 10 miles a day yeah. in the morning for, like, two hours. Like, this is the exact – I don't even spend two hours on this in the morning. But everything's but done by hand, pretty much. So you get your exercise in, and I mean, you honest, i honestly spend more time just sitting here looking at animals than I do working. It's crazy. Yeah. But not—it's not for everyone, though. Probably because I mean, it is. You have to do shit every day, probably. But you have control over your money. You have control over how much you make. Yeah, and it is—it is kind of cool when you look at it like that. Like, if you need to put cash somewhere, you could put it into animals. Yep. You have you have anything in anything that you want to do, you can do it. You just gotta figure out how to do it. Yeah, that is true. That's it, it really is. There, it's just it literally there, is like there literally is no boundaries. <laughs> There's no limits. Like honestly, it's wild because it's yeah. like because you I tr you try to dissect successful people and it's like they're just thinking outside 
the box. Yeah. Like my new life rule is like, well, if majority of people are doing that, I have to find out a different way to do it because it's just like, there's no way that's the best way then. Cause right. people by trait are just followers and, and they want like an easy thing just given to them, you know, like yeah. they want to be told what to do and how to do it. So they don't have to think. Yeah. Cause people turn brains off after they get out of college or high school. Yep. Oh yeah. Cause like, they, we're done learning. <laughs> you know, they're back to being just spoon fed. Just they're taking the world as they see it instead of doing their own research and realizing that that's their perception. Everyone's perception is different. And you literally can do anything. You can go out, you can you can make the margins as high as you want. You just gotta put in the work here to find what works. But the people that really are smart, they get into something and they just kind of play the game and they see it and they kind of hone their skill and then they start massaging their process. They start massaging what they're doing and then they start doing something differently and it starts making them more money. Yeah, it is. It's like you're, it's like unlocking, because there isn't, I don't think there is a way to teach people this is the way to make money. No. It just appears, like, it seems to me, it's like I'm in this, like, I'm on this, like, quest, essentially. It's like playing with a Rubik's Cube, kind of, where you're, like, you're just, like, unlocking these, like, little things. Because you have to deal with you, you, you know, you have to deal with your personality. I have to deal with, like, what I'm interested in. Because yep. I've been in situations where it's, like, I could make a shitload of money doing something like this, but, like, I hate myself. Yeah. So you have to deal with that, which yeah. is a different thing that you never, no one taught you that as a what, kid. What's like, your purpose? Your purpose is yeah. to straight up make money and you don't care about your happiness or yelling at your girlfriend when you get home. Then you're going to be in a job that you could potentially hate just to make money. That's your, that's your purpose. That's your goal. So what's, what's your, what's your goal? Yeah, it's, oh, it honestly, yeah, that's a, I mean, it's 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 good to revisit your goal every once in a while. Yeah. But it's also pretty difficult to define that. Just got to sit and listen listen to yourself and listen to your thoughts. Yeah, I always go back to wanting to, like, but I, I don't know. I've, I've, I was thinking about that recently. Like, I'm always, like, finding myself battling some unjust thing in my in my eyes. Like I it's always unjust think, in your eyes. Like the farming industry. Like I got yeah. into it because I'm like, this is stupid. Like someone just needs to come up with a better system. You can. You can, yeah. Yep. But yeah, at the same time. I think, you know, the answer back to the marketplace is creating a marketplace then. Is creating that avenue to sell those items somewhere. Is there something out there other than Facebook that people are going to? Just talked about a need right then and there. A guy had 400 chickens, goes on Facebook to sell them. He can't sell them anymore. Taylor goes to sell his stuff on Facebook, and Facebook doesn't let him do it anymore. That's a need in the market right there. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I've created a, an actual online marketplace. Yep. Similar to uh, it, it. Yeah, I mean you. You can find an answer to anything. You just got to look hard. That is one of the business models that we're working through. Because, you know, the answer to that is, yeah, you develop, you know, they have to develop a, their own way to sell stuff online. But <laughs> once again, we go back to that. It's like, is that even fair for people, like that many people to know that skill? Yeah. You know? and, and you bring up a good point. But then. So know, there's the, two lines. You have the info line where you teach people how to do that. Yep. Or you, you create the marketplace for them and you essentially create like an Amazon. Yeah. And really, today, with the state of the world and 
you talk about us and our views and uh you know sarah and i have talked about this you know if stuff really hits the fan or food supplies get cut who's our community who can we go to so creating a community yeah and i think I that think does exist yeah and then and then like so like everything so like every solution to a problem has other problems that come along with it Correct. you know so like yep. you do that and you nurture say like 30 families that want to just buy food strictly from you yep then you're i mean that's that's a responsibility then then you carry you yeah because like then you have to supply them food yep and then you're, you're dealing with you know then they're you're dealing with their customer support so like if somebody gets a steak that's get some sick or whatever something. you know yeah. You're, yeah you're that's another thing like the whole sick getting some if someone were to get sick because and it wouldn't be your fault it would just be they obviously miss handled the meat yeah it's but their it, perception that it was you when what yeah. did they do did they leave it on the counter well there's just no long? way there's no way of what you did could have possibly even done that which that comes back to like all the rules that come like that's stupid because yep. if you freeze something it pretty much kills all the bacteria all the worms whatever would get someone sick so yep. just flash freezing everything essentially solves that yep. so you either don't do that I get yeah. If you mishandled, I guess in the processing part, you could get dinged on it. Yeah, that could come back on you. But even if that shit would get would get frozen, it mainly probably comes from the consumer mishandling it, Correct. leaving it in the fridge too long. And yeah, but then you go back and you talk about the herbicides and insecticides and all that. That's the long term. That's like why everyone's yeah. gluten intolerant. That's why. Yeah. You sh- everyone's shitting their pants after they drink a glass of milk. Correct. You know, like, all of that. Yeah. I think there's other factors that play a part, but that's, that's, that's a big thing. Like I can't, if I, the worst thing, um, that I, that I can tell organic versus non-organic is apples. If I have a non-organic apple, oof, I get a stomach ache just instantly. I have that same apple, but it's ugh. organic and I'm good. That's just gross. Just the amount of chemicals I spray on that stuff. Yeah. And I'd say that's, that's apples big time too is pesticides on theirs yep you gotta keep the you gotta keep the flies off them you gotta keep all the insects off them um yeah it's there's a lot of motivations to keep i don't know but it, it is a thing because that would wouldn't wouldn't that be an incredible thing to, to do is if you were to figure out a really good profitable system here and then create these types of farms and then turn them into almost like communities correct yep grow network that would be do that too. so like tiny houses and yeah and actual places for people to live and then they have yeah everything is grown yep on the ground they're living and then you teach people you teach people to feed themselves you have them out there you stay you throw classes together there's a million i mean there's a lot of places you can go. I don't know where my brain's going to go. That's one of the problems is like. We figured out there's no, there's no need to try and uh, control the future to control the past. Well, that's what one of the biggest problems with being a control freak is. Yeah. <laughs> you're, afraid, you're afraid of that unknown. Yeah. The, mo- the most unknown thing right but now I must is not this be, present. Yeah, and I must not be. I must have some more sense of. Uh, like risk taking than normal people though, because I look at people that you know, people I grew up with or p- 
people that are like essential because I always like to compare myself to people who has had similar upbringings or like we grew up in the same type of ecosystem, you know? Yeah. Because like then you, then it just comes down to like their brain and their perception of reality. Correct. And a lot of people, they just can't. They're just paralyzed by any type of risk or, but sure. like, but they're risky in other weird ways, you know? Like, like yeah. if you get a car. Yep. Like three cars. It's like that feels risky to me. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to the upbringing. It goes back to, goes back to uh, some experience that they had, where they were taught, yeah. "Hey, this isn't risky, but this is risky." Like in in my side, I grew up in a family that uh, uh, mom was a nurse, my dad worked <coughs> at Darlin. They were blue collar jobs for thirty plus years at the same place. You know, there's no. I didn't even know what entrepreneur was. Yeah, me neither. It was I see I see all that and. And I don't know where my perception came from, but it was like, well, that's really risky. That's, that's, you know, it was more safety. You know, you're working, you're guaranteed a nine to five and that's what you're going to do. You know, you have your benefits, you have everything. And that's how I was taught. So going into business and even now thinking to myself, yeah, I think it'd be cool to try and work for myself, but I still have that perception where I do like that paycheck. I do like knowing that I have benefits and at the same time, I've turned it and said, I like what I do. I like helping people, and that's why I do it. And that's why I've chosen this to stay in it. Yeah, but you're going to do something outside of that normal thing at some point because you're, you're exposed to that mindset too much. Correct. Like, you will take a risk at some point. You're at some do point, something. I will try and do something. Yep. Yeah, for sure. There, there's a couple. But it doesn't even necessarily need – like, even if it was, like – even if you started slinging real estate, like, that's still outside of what normal people do. Like, even – it doesn't need to be, like, a fully operating, like, business. Yep. I was the same way. And I think about that often. Like, my – I was – business – business was tied to bankruptcy, and that was, like, the scariest thing on the earth. That's how they talked about it when I was a kid. Yep. And it's, like – it was always, like, what if you went bankrupt? It's, like – and – Honestly, it's like, what if you did? Yeah, crazy. Yeah, like, what, no one's gonna kill you. We go straight. We go straight to those worst case scenarios as humans. Yeah. Like, well, and what and if you, you look don't? At, what if you become a millionaire? Because they hear this, the, and they hear forever? the stories of maybe people coming into communities like this. Like, I was talking to my dad a couple weeks ago, and he's like, talking about a guy that had come in and started a business in this town, and then he's like, "Yep, he went under." And I'm like, "Well, define what going under means, because uh-huh. there's a lot of people who are like, you know." serial entrepreneurs they might come in and start something and it's not just profitable enough for them and they're like i'm bouncing yep. sure yeah bankrupt i'm leaving there's yeah. a lot of people that do that their choice yeah because they have a million in the bank and they're not gonna they're not pulling from their personal funds to do anything it's yeah. so like technically they went bankrupt are they fine yeah they have 10 more of those things like more of those things going around yeah yep but if that was your only and you're not hearing about like people doing like really well either, you yep. know, the businesses that are doing really well, yeah, because they aren't talking about it. Yeah, I think we just have a tendency to gravitate to the negative. We have a tendency to gravitate towards the worst case scenario. Yeah, and you want to make sure, and you want to make, you know, you want to feel like you are doing the right thing. And you know, if a business does go bankrupt, or you hear about it, and it would solidify your thoughts. You know, it's right. like, well, I am. I'm glad I have this. We're, we're gonna seek out. We're gonna seek out what we have to confirm those thoughts because we have fragile eagles and we don't want to be proven otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to fail either. That too. That's a yep. shitty thing. 
But what what is failure? Everyone's definition of failure is different. Especially when you look at short term. Like, remember the failures that you were worried about 10 years ago? Yep. What are they now? Yeah. They're just insignificant in every possible way. Uh-huh. They mean nothing. Nothing. <laughs> but they were a big deal then. Yeah. Yep, they were. And they felt bad. Yep. You failed a paper or you failed a test in school. It was like, uh-huh. But it all goes screwed. back to our human behavior. All the times that I sat up at night worrying about my paper in college, now you just replace college paper with how am I going to get this deal done? It's the same, yeah. It's the same thing. It, it goes back to our human behavior. I have to fix myself. What's the common denominator in that? It's not the paper or the, the bank loan i got to figure out. It's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your personal, yeah, because uh, there is an insane amount of self uh, um, kind of exploding like your life. Like you just, you don't even let yourself go to the next level. Mm-hmm. A lot of that, it is truly like you're stopping yourself. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of times you look at yourself when you're in college and you kind of stop yourself because, hey, who's the tribe that I hang out with? Who's the people I hang out with? You know, you're going to stay pretty much in line with them oh yeah and that's and then you realize that that doesn't mean much and what really means is the people that are even closer to you so next thing you know you kind of you know what's your loved one think and and that so you're staying there when in reality you know someone should accept someone for the way they are and not the what they want them to be yeah and you gotta accept what yeah you probably have to accept it for what you as yourself too like what you are yeah you gotta love what your yourself. capabilities are you gotta love yourself and be honest with yourself, be like like yep. me, like I, I know I'm bad at some things. Yeah. Yep. Don't don't take it personal, you know. Yeah, that's what you hire people for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like get a good accountant, get a good banker. That's you gotta surround yourself with those blind spots, the stuff the stuff that you have a blind spot in, like you said, 